I did want to communicate. Uh, we are planning to go out to eat today after service. We invite anybody who'd like to join us. Uh, just get some time of fellowship in. Uh, feel free to do that. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, where are we going? I believe we're, we said we were going to try out the City Diner uh, down on, on US 1. And uh, we are going to go there and just spend time in fellowship. Please, if, uh, if you don't have any plans, I know you might have a crock pot on or whatever it may be. Uh, but if at all possible, we would love for you to join us. I think we're going to try to make this a monthly thing, the first Sunday of every month. We're going to try to make that a monthly thing so you can prepare for it for you and your family um, just again, a time just a fellowship, coming together, spending time with each other. I realized a, a couple months ago that everybody was going out to eat after service to different places. And I thought, well, hey, you know, how good would it be if we could just all go to the same place, hallelujah, and act like we know each other, amen? Praise God. Unless you don't tip, then I, then I don't know you, praise God, but Hallelujah. So we'd love for you to join us. City Diner used to be Metro Diner. We haven't been there since it's called, been changed to City Diner. So we'd love for you to join us. We're going to read a little bit here. So please just have patience, but we're going to read a story. Numbers 25, verse 1 through 13. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of of Moab. They called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat. They bowed down to the gods of the Moabites. And Israel joined himself. Uh, when it says himself, it's, it's talking about Israel as a collective body. The uh, majority of Israel, or a large number of Israel, joined themselves to Baal Peor which, uh, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but it, it really is a type of worshiping Baal that involved a lot of sexual misconduct and lust and a, a bunch of nasty stuff. So they began to join with the women uh, doing these things. And, of course, these are the people of God, and they're turning their backs from God. God has preserved them, brought them out of Egypt. Now they're going off and doing it this, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Uh, uh, basically, he's saying we've got to just get rid of this in the camp. We can't let this remain in the camp of the children of Israel. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It, we read this just passively, but can you imagine being in their shoes? These are their friends, their family members, who are now 
being slaughtered because of the sin in the camp. So it says they're weeping. Now they're being presented this Midianitish woman, which we'll talk about her and, and the situation a little bit later on in the sermon, but it calls them to have an emotional reaction. Verse 7, And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up. Everybody say, he rose up. He rose up from among the congregation where everyone watched and looked at this woman and this couple that were in sin. He took a javelin in his hand. He went after the man of Israel in the tent and he thrust both of them through. This is awfully violent. I had to wait until all the kids got out of the room. Amen. I, but I feel if it's in the Bible, it's, it's, we need to talk about it, right? Hallelujah. The man of Israel, the woman, the woman, he thrust this javelin through their belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. He shall have it and seed after him even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Hallelujah. How many say, well, I'm zealous for God, not enough to thrust anybody in through the belly with a javelin. Hallelujah. But can you say, I'm zealous for the Lord here today? Amen. Hallelujah. How about we talk to the Lord, ask him to bless this sermon. Lord, we thank you, God, for all you've done. We thank you for what you're about to do. Please touch my throat, my body. Allow me to communicate this the best way possible. Help me to say what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for what you're about to do. Have your own way today in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to preach today about this topic. It's time to rise up. I believe it is time to rise up. Uh, I'd like to just for a moment give some background to this. And I just ask you today, have patience with me. Don't write off the sermon until I get to the end, then you decide. Hallelujah. Is that all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. See, we got to get the setting here. The Moabites, they knew that the children of Israel were a large group of people who had already dominated every place that they had gone. It was quite obvious they had the blessings 
of God and Jehovah on their side. The Moabites, they determined that they could not risk direct conflict with this group of people. Numbers 22 and 2, it tells us that the king, Balak, the son of Sippor, he's the king of the Moabites. He saw that Israel, what Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. He recognized the children of Israel were being used to destroy these great nations. And he knew we cannot go in direct conflict with them because they will absolutely destroy us. <laughs> he knew there's no way we could match up with them. So they could not do direct conflict. If I may try to make some connections here, I believe that this whole story is a great example of how the devil comes against the people of God. You see, the devil's not going to just come with direct conflict. He's not going to just appear one day in your bedroom. Maybe sometimes that'll happen, but it is extremely rare that the devil will just manifest himself to try to take you on. He's not going to try to go toe-to-toe with you. Anybody know why? Because of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah, because I've got the Spirit of God living inside of me, and I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. That means I've put on Christ. Hallelujah, the devil can't touch me because I've got the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, covering me. Praise God. The devil knows that if he goes toe-to-toe with you, all you got to do is take out that one weapon you got. It's the only one you need, the name of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. He knows that if he tries to have this direct conflict, go toe-to-toe, that he is not going to win. Oh, praise God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You know the Bible tells us that the devils tremble at the knowledge that there's one God. Hallelujah. I tell you, they tremble knowing you're a child of God and you worship Jesus. He, they tremble knowing that you pray and that you go to church and that you've committed your life to God. They can't come against you. Not directly. Praise God. So he does like the king of Moab, of Moab did. Instead of taking you on face-to-face, toe-to-toe, he tries to get people on his side, get people to curse you. Balak called on a man named Balaam. Balaam will be very important to this sermon. He called on Balaam to curse Israel. Several times Balaam went to curse Israel. But every time Balaam, who... If you read scriptures, it would appear like Balaam is some righteous minister of God. In actuality, he was not, not by any means, a righteous man. Balaam, though, even though he wanted to curse the children of Israel, every time he went to do so, 
God turned the cursing into a blessing. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. I tell you, the Bible tells me that I've got the favor of God. Hallelujah. And when the favor of God protects me, uh, there's nothing the devil can do to speak against me. Uh, Hallelujah. He's a hedge of protection around me. Uh, Praise God. And even when the devil tries to come, unless God releases him, he has got no power to curse you. Hallelujah. There's some people who absolutely believe they're cursed. It's too late. Brother, Brother Victor, if you don't mind me, me telling what, what you've said recently, this is in my notes. So, hallelujah. Praise God. I, I know you'll forgive me. <laughs> but Brother Victor told me many years ago when he was backslidden, not only did he curse God, but he also sold his soul to the devil, if you will. Gave himself to the devil because he was so angry with God. Hallelujah. But can I tell you, even that act could not keep him from the Lord bringing him back and from the Lord bringing him back in right relationship with God. I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what witch or warlock has cursed you. If the favor of God is upon you, there's nothing that they can do. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Can can I just go ahead and say this? This is how I feel, at least in my life. The cursing of devil, the work the devil tries to come against me, he tries to fight against me, even though for a moment it seems desperate, it seems hard, it seems harsh, what I've realized is every time the devil comes against me, God somehow turns it into a blessing. Hallelujah. That's how it works. Oh, oh, I feel it today. I feel it in the sphere. Somebody's cursing is about to be turned around into a blessing. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. See, the devil, he does this same thing. He can't go to direct conflict, so he accuses the brethren. And when that doesn't help, that doesn't work because the favor of God is on us. He takes another route. This route is much more dangerous. And this route, this is what we want to talk about today. You see, Balaam, who his cursing turned into a blessing, he was not done quite yet. Numbers 31 and 16. Again, this is not Balak the king. This is Balaam. The one who was to curse the children of Israel. Says Numbers 31, 16. Behold, these calls the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. See, if I can't go toe-to-toe with you, And if I can't curse you, I'm going to find a way to get you to join me. Balaam found a new way to entrap the children of Israel. And he did it through sin. 
Today I know we like to talk about Satan being that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'm certainly not saying that's not the image, but I can tell you that his primary image is less a roaring lion and more the serpent in the garden. Carefully and sneakily, he comes up besides us, knowing he cannot go toe-to-toe as a lion may be able to, knowing, hallelujah, that he cannot curse you, but he knows if he can trick you into falling into sin, or even if he can just make it so insignificant, all it is is an apple that he can make us fall. Hallelujah. So he, Balaam, he found a way to seduce the children of Israel, not through direct conflict, not through cursing, but by seducing them into their lust, into sin, causing them to fall into things that Balaam knew and the children of Israel knew that God did not want them to do. Can I tell you, the devil is after our children, and the devil's after our church, the devil's after every Christian, and he knows his best tactic is not to go toe-to-toe, but he will try to seduce, he will try to entrap, he will try to convince, he will do everything he can do to cause you to fall into sin, but the church has to stand against him and say, absolutely. Absolutely not. Hallelujah. We will not fall victim to the seducing of the devil. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord right now. In our passage of Scripture, the children of Israel began to realize through the direction of God that many among their ranks had fallen into sin. And it required for them to rise up, to get off their seat, to get out of bed, and to say, we've got to stand against sin. We've got to stand against unrighteousness. Oh, I feel this morning like it's time for the church to wake up and to realize the devil's not trying to kidnap your kids. The devil's not trying to curse your kids. The devil's trying to seduce your kids. we got to rise up and stand against the devil. Oh, <laughs> Oh, is this all right here today? I looked into it. Lest anybody try to tell me all you ever do is preach on sin. It's been over a year since I've preached directly about sin. Indirectly, you know, all the time, but directly about sin. And today I feel angry. Oh, it's that righteous anger that the Lord Jesus had. We began to see the unrighteousness being done in the temple. I'm not angry with anybody here. I'm angry with the tactics of the devil in our society and in our culture that is seducing the minds of not just the young people, but also the adults to sit back and allow sin reign in our society. Oh, it's time for the church to arise and say that sin will not reign here. 
sin will not reign in my house. Sin will not reign in my society. Hallelujah. Sin will not reign in my culture. Oh, Can I tell you, sin requires direct conflict. And too long, the passionate among us are those who are in sin and want everybody else to accept it. Praise God. If you don't like this, just hold on. It gets better. Praise God. The loudest among us have been those who are wanting you to agree with them that they're okay. Can I tell you, the church still has to declare sin is sin. And we can't be afraid to say, the Bible tells me it's a sin. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. We can't be afraid to say, I believe this is a sin because the Bible says it's a sin. And I've built my life around the Bible and he's not failed me yet. And the word of God hasn't failed me yet. And if the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. And we cannot allow it in our homes or in our culture. What I'm saying here today is I feel in many times the church takes the path of least resistance. We just want to stay silent and we'll preach in the building and that's it. And we'll stand in the building, but that's it. Oh, praise God. Praise God. But you know, the devil, he's not content with just letting us sit in here. He's going to take your kids who are out there. He's going to take your minds as you're with your coworkers and people who are trying to convince you and saying you're crazy to think this is a sin. You're bigoted to think this is a sin. If the Bible says it, I don't have any choice. I must believe it and stand for it and declare sin is sin. See, I thought we'd get here, that uncomfortable feeling where some people are like, okay, he's going, he's almost to that line. <laughs> Praise God. Can I tell you that this world, our culture has designated war on our values. It's designated war on our biblical values. Many in our society don't just want you to have your beliefs and they to have their beliefs. They want to make it to where you are wrong and it's illegal for you to be able to stand for biblical values. Hallelujah. But just as they've declared war against biblical values, the church must declare war against sin and say we're not playing with sin. We're not toying with sin. We're not flirting with sin. What is sin is sin. And I'm not just going to believe it. I'm going to stand for it. I'm going to declare it. And I'm going to say that sin is sin. Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, this is what happens when God delivers you from sin. When God delivers you of sin, man, you ought to get angry. The Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes 3 and 8, 
It tells us there is a time to love. It also tells us there is a time to hate. There's a time of war and there's a time of peace. We've been content with just being the peaceful, quiet, little on the side of the road, building. I think it's time that we say it's war time against sin. I'm not saying do away with love, but I'm saying it's time for for the church to get hate back in their heart. Pastor, how? what do you mean hate? Proverbs 8 and 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Oh, Jesus. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I know we got to love. We'll talk about love in a minute. Oh, but the church needs to get a hate in their heart. I hate sin. I hate lust. I hate unrighteousness. I hate anything that has... Come on, I hate evil. Oh, Jesus. No, but we've decided... Again, as I say we, I'm talking about the church as a whole. We've decided that love, love is the only pathway. My Bible says there's a time to love. Yes, we need love. But there's also a time to hate. And I tell you, we've got to communicate more than ever before that sin is sin. And I hate it. Oh, why? Because I've tasted it and I've fallen into it and I know what it's like to be caught and ensnared by lust and pride. Oh, God. I know what it's like to be stuck in sin. Oh, you think I'm going to just sit back and let my little son, my boy, fall into sin? You better believe I'm going to take a stand. You better believe I'm going to say not today, devil. You better believe I'm going to say not ever in my house. I'm sorry that I'm just yelling a lot, man. I'm just angry. 2 Corinthians 7.11. We've talked about this recently in our lesson about conviction. But look at this. Look what conviction is supposed to do to the Christian. We've skipped so many stages when it comes to conviction. For 2 Corinthians 7, 11, Behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sword. He's talking about conviction that made them feel bad. But that feeling of conviction, that bad feeling, it's good for you. It's meant to move you into a position where you'll get rid of the sin. Is this all right? Hallelujah. When you put your hand on a stove, the reason there's immediate pain is because your body is telling you, get your hand off of it. I tell you, conviction is where God is trying to tell us something is wrong. You got to change your heart. You got to change your mind. You got to change your actions. And you got to do it as quickly as possible. Conviction. Oh, what carefulness it wrought in you. Diligence. 
Conviction is supposed to put a diligence in us that says, I'm going to make sure I'm not going to fall again. Yea, what clearing of ourselves or apology. Conviction is supposed to make us rise up and say, you know what, I've done wrong and I need to be made right. And apologize. Yea, what indignation. That word indignation literally means anger. After you're out of sin, you're not supposed to just fall into this love bubble. You're supposed to be angry about sin. Oh, Jesus. You're supposed to be angry about where sin has brought you to. You're supposed to be angry about all the opportunities you lost because of sin. You're supposed to be angry about the years wasted living in sin. The brain cells destroyed living in sin. The lives corrupted because you're living in sin. The relationships destroyed because you're living in Anybody getting angry yet? Anybody getting angry yet? Sometimes I go, you know, I, I have YouTube like everybody else. I'm connected on this YouTube site where it's, it's police officers and their cams. And it's just arrests that they've done. And the majority are simply people who are drunk or high. And though they would probably never do any of the things they're doing, that simple act of getting drunk or getting high, now they're kicking police officers. Now they're going to jail for half of their lives simply because they've just given in to one little thing. Can we talk about the destructive path of sin? The Bible says that wickedness overthrows the sinner. What that means is if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Oh, hallelujah. Pastor, it's just one time. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like God's just putting an anger in our hearts. It's not just one time. You gotta get rid. You just don't want to go down that path. You don't want to see what the ending is. We gotta get angry. Yay. What fear. Yay. What vehement desire. This is still 2 Corinthians 7 11. What vehement desire, that word, that phrase, vehement desire, it means a desire to disassociate with. I don't want to have anything to do with it. <clears throat> come on, just come hang out with us in the bar. Don't you know God set me free from alcoholism? I ain't stepping a foot in a bar. Praise God. I don't want to have anything to do with that junk. Why? Because it's stolen too much. Oh, God. It's stolen too much from me. Look at this. Yay, what zeal. Yay, what revenge. This is the one situation where the Bible encourages us to have revenge. 
It's when it comes to sin. We know revenge is the Lord's, right? But when it comes to sin, he says, what revenge it puts in us. That means a desire to say, you know what? I'm not just going to stay away from it. I want to destroy sin. I want to call, call war out on sin. I want to come against sin. I want to tell other people they got to stay away from it. I want to tell other people they got to flee from sin. Hallelujah. That's where conviction must lead. And this morning, I know we're using an Old Testament story for reference. We're not walking around throwing javelins at anybody, all right? And I hope that you understand today that we don't fight through this physical violence, but we do stand against sin with hatred. And we stand for the sinner with love. Is this okay? Hallelujah. You see, because there has to come a point where hatred for sin turns into a love for righteousness. Am I right here today? Hallelujah. Matthew 5 and 6. Hallelujah. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're not talking about just hating sin and that alone, but we got to fall in love with righteousness. We got to fall in love with holiness. We got to fall in love with doing right and helping our kids to do right. We got to fall in love with scripture. We got to fall in love with being holy. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow. Everybody say follow. After righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Hallelujah. Don't just kick sin to the curb, but still be a nasty human being. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we can stand against sin, but not be nasty and still love people. And oh, praise God. See, society, just like the church, it's like we've been on separate ends. Society says you can't love unless you also accept my sin. And it's like some portions of the church says you can't hate sin unless you also hate the sinner. It may seem cliche to say, but we still know we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And I can accept the person without accepting their sin. <laughs> Praise God. Because I got to flee the sin. But I got to follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. There's a reason why the Bible says, hallelujah, that we must have holiness and peace if we are to see the kingdom of God. Because we, we, a lot of times we disconnect them. Oh, I, I got to have holiness. I can't make it to heaven without holiness. True. 
but you also can't make it to heaven without peace. And when it's talking about peace, it's not talking about peace with sin, but peace with the sinner. Hallelujah. So I've got to have a balance between a hatred for sin and a love for the sinner, between holiness and peace. I got to find a way to stand my ground, to declare war against sin, but also let everybody know I love them. I love them like Jesus loves them. And I just want them to get rid of sin too, because I know what that will do for their life and their family and for all around them. Hallelujah. I got to love. And that was Balaam's issue. Balaam's issue is he didn't love righteousness. For 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved what sin gave him. He loved what unrighteousness brought into his life. We recognize there's pleasure in sin for a season. But then after that comes destruction and guilt and broken families and, and damnation. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Palam was so unrighteous, he even had to be persuaded by a donkey before he'd do what was right. I hope I'm a little bit better than a donkey today. And I hope that we don't need a donkey to speak before we start living right. I hope we don't need a donkey to speak before we recognize the wages of unrighteousness is death. Hallelujah. But opposite of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, is Phineas, who had a zeal for God that said, I'm not going to accept sin in my camp and where everybody was sitting there looking at this couple, and they were crying. They were upset because they recognized who this couple was. This wasn't just any normal couple. No, Numbers chapter 25 and verse 10. I'm sorry. Numbers 25 verse 14. It says, Now the name of the Israelite that was slain even that was slain with the Midianitish woman was Zimri, the son of Salu. And look at this. He was a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. This wasn't just any person. This was a prince. Verse 15, in the name of the Midianitish woman was the, was, that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. She was a princess. So you've got a prince and a princess living in sin. 
I tell you, sin, this unrighteousness in our society, it's not going to come looking ugly and looking nasty. It's going to come with a beautiful picture, maybe even animated. Can I tell you today, and I, look, I, I, you know, I don't think this is getting political. This is sin. Disney has now put out that their new movie, Buzz Lightyear, will have a, a kiss between two same-sex genders. And many of you, you've seen the news, and I won't go into anything else other than that. But just simply to put it this way, it's going to come with a beautiful picture, and it's not going to be direct towards you. It's going to be direct toward the kids. Because they know if they can, you can raise your kids in a society that is accepting of sin, as they grow up, they will not feel passionate against sin as you and I do. Oh, God. Because sin looks like a prince and a princess. They all wept and they cried. These were important people in their lives. All of a sudden, you may wake up and realize this movie, this TV show, this song, whatever it may be, this person, this place, these things are bad for me and they've got sin. And you may carry that emotional reaction just as the children of Israel did. Oh, but I'm waiting for a Phineas to rise up in zeal and say, I don't care what it looks like. It doesn't matter if it's a prince and a princess. I'm going to stand against sin. I'm going to remove sin out of my home. I'm going to remove sin out of my children's eyes. We're going to preach righteousness. We're going to preach holiness. We're going to preach truth. Come on, parents. Hallelujah. Can I call on some Phineas? to stand in your home and say we're getting rid of the prince and the princesses that are bringing sin into our home. Oh, Jesus, God. I'm going to stand against the prince and the princess that has brought sin into my home. He had to do it with zeal. Perhaps some of the others would have stopped him. Don't you dare touch them. But he had to be determined. And he rose up. And he says, if we don't act now, our whole family's going to be lost. If we don't act now, our children are going to be lost. Jesus, we got such a beautiful group of kids in this church. Can I tell you, if we don't act now, our youth will be lost. Our children will be lost. Our wives will be lost. Our husbands will be lost. Phineas, will you rise? Because it always requires first that the battle against sin starts in the home. It starts in the home. But can I tell you, it doesn't end there. 
Hallelujah. Because this, which started in the home, we can stay in today. What started in the home, what started at the children of Israel, it became war against the Moabites. Numbers chapter 31 and verse 6. It says, And Moses sent them to war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phineas, the son, there he is, of Eleazar the priest to the war. Hallelujah. Because when it's time to go to war, you're going to call on the one who had the guts to do it in the home. Hallelujah. And here Phineas is leading the charge with holy instruments and trumpets to blow in his head. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I believe that there are men and women of God who will do great things, not just to stand against sin in the church, but in our society and in our culture. But it must start at home. Hallelujah. But can I tell you, if we will determine to do this, God will bless us. Numbers 25 and 10. I'm almost done. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Look at this, verse 12. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. But Phineas is going to war. He says, yeah, but his home is at peace. <laughs> I give to him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Anybody zealous for your God here today? So here we have Phineas being lifted up, going to war on behalf of God and righteousness. But in on this side, number 31 and verse 8, they slew the kings of Midian besides the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, Rechem, Zer, Her, Reba, five kings of Midian. And look who else was there. Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword because he loved the wages of unrighteousness. But Phineas loved righteousness. This morning, I'm simply calling on the church to rise up. Calling on the church to rise up. And say, God, I'm going to stand against sin in my home. I want, I'm calling on you to come down to this altar and explore in your heart and mind what you have in your home right now. Explore in your heart and mind where you're letting your children go and what you've allowed yourself to do. Begin to ask yourself, have I invited into the camp the seduction of the devil.
How can I stand? How can I be zealous for the Lord? Can I tell you, Romans 8.37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hallelujah. You will have victory over sin if you're struggling with it. You will help your children to live holy, righteous lives if you stand up for them. Oh, but let's take time right now. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, la la la,